This episode of Ministry Monday is brought to you by the St. Meinrad Music Institute. Registration is now open for the Winter Chant Workshop, January 24th to 28th, 2022, at St. Meinrad Arch Abbey in Southern Indiana. All skill levels and backgrounds are welcome. Join presenters Brother John Glassnap and Dr. Allison Altstadt and immerse yourself in the church's rich tradition of both Latin and English liturgical chant. For details and registration, visit www.saintmindred.org forward slash chant dash workshop. Again, that's www.saintmindred.org forward slash chant dash workshop. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 179 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I'm your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hello. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us today. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Today, we speak to John Engadi, composer and music director in the Nashville, Tennessee area. John's passion is truly fostering the youth of today and it shows. This episode is a great framework for how to attract youth into a music program and how to establish a foundation of prayerful, intentional music ministry and mentorship. John is a fabulous, self-proclaimed music missionary. And to be honest, this interview was just plain fun to record. Hey, John. How you doing today? Oh, not too bad. It's a beautiful day here in Nashville. Cold, but uh, leaves are changing and sunshine is out. Well, so John, you recently had knee surgery. I did, and I'm sitting here with them up right now because I had to, uh, I'm in week eight. And so I had to, um, I've been, since the last couple of weeks, I've been on to go and uh, I'm not resting them enough. So there's, they started to swell and like you got to take time during the day to get off your feet for 20 or 30 minutes mm-hmm. and elevate them some and then go back. So that's what I'm doing right now. It's getting a little elevation, but it's, uh, you know, I did two at one time. Yeah. So everybody thinks I was crazy, but I just <laughs> tell everybody, if you're going to go through the pain and you got to go through it twice, you might as well just go through it once. 
Mm-hmm. And my doctor was, he was like, you need them both anyway. So get mm-hmm. it done. <laughs> How has yeah. the pain been? Have you been in a lot of su- substantial pain? Yes, yes, yes. As a matter of fact, the first four weeks, uh, four and a half weeks uh, were uh, um, very painful every day, all day. But you know that, you're con- that that's temporary. So you kind of got to th- go through that in order to get to the other side. So I'm on the other side. Good, good. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad you're on the other side. So yeah, yeah, so today we're talking about youth and fostering a mentorship type of atmosphere in your music ministry. Um, So before we really dig into this topic, I got to ask John, how did you get involved in music ministry? Uh, I got involved in it at an early age, started in children's choir. My mother was the church organist. She made us take children's choir. You know, there's a direct correlation between the kids that are in children's choir and those that stay in some type of ministry later on in life. Mm -hmm. Direct correlation. So then I went to uh, I went to a high school seminary um, when I was 15. My sophomore, junior year, senior, my job sophomore, junior, senior year of high school. And uh, when I first got there, the, they knew I played and, and sang and had to audition for it was an all-male group. And so they made me the choir master, the assistant choir master to the priest. And um, so um, I had been doing this since I was 15, 16 years old and um, didn't want to do this, but kind of got, you know, it was just, you know, if I was going to mass, I was going to play all that kind of stuff. And then the older I got, I found I wasn't going to mass unless I was playing. Hmm. Which that might happen to a lot of musicians, you know, church musicians that if you're not playing, are you still going to go to mass, you know? And uh, so that's when um, um, I was playing in rock bands when in the late, always since I was 16 as well. But then when I was doing it as a profession, um, and when I came out of the Navy band, I started playing with my own band, had a job, and then I was doing a contemporary ensemble every other week. So I was only going to mass every other week. And I didn't know what I was doing. We were just rocking it out. This was in the early nineties. <laughs> and um, I had written some songs and my pastor at the time in West Morgantown, West Virginia, was good friends with Virgil Funk. Oh, nice. They went to school together. So he calls Virgil and says, I got this young, uh, you know, artist. He thought I was crazy. The pastor did. So, you know, cause <laughs> he didn't, he didn't want the contemporary stuff. And then it was really kind of new kind of thing. And, um, so Virgil told him to send, I should send whatever I got to world library. That's what he told him world library. So I did. And in 1995, they, uh, I had a cassette that I made for $300. Nice. It had 10 songs on it. <laughs> and uh, they took it and as a distribution deal. And um, I thought that was something major, but it's really nothing. And um, <laughs> then Father Jim Marchanda got a hold of that cassette and um, was going to LA to the LA Congress for a conference and called me and said, uh, you know, I like your stuff. Do you think you go with me to a workshop. I'm doing a workshop in LA, bring your band. 
and Meredith, she was Meredith Joseph back then, but Meredith Augustine, we, she grew up in West Virginia too. So we were all in the same band. We played on, played weddings and bars and stuff on the weekend and play, play on Sunday. So it was the same. (laughs) Yeah. And um, anyway, so we went to LA Congress in 1997. I remember sitting in the Raptors seeing the opening event and I looked at her and I said, I think I could do that, but they're doing for sure. And then I've written five of their theme songs since then. At LA oh, Congress. Nice. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of a LA Congress was kind of a breaking ground. And then in uh, 96, I did an NPM sang one song at a showcase because they had taken that cassette and maybe it was 98. Anyway, nevertheless, it was before 2000. Were you born mm-hmm. then? I was born then, John. Okay. Yes. okay. <laughs> I'm not that young. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so from there, things just kind of snowballed and people wanted more material. And then they started asking to travel. Can you come to my parish and that kind of thing? And I didn't know what I was talking about. I only had, I had a music degree and a business degree and, you know, I'm playing at church and I just didn't know enough. So that's when I decided to go uh, work on a master's at Catholic Theological Union in pastoral studies. And that opened me up to a whole new world of realizing that what we know is just a smidgen smidgen of the iceberg. And uh, so that kind of helped me along the way to kind of do what I do today in terms of parish missions. And and, um, then um, more and more collections with World Library because I was fortunate enough to uh, go on the road in 2005 full time. And I did that for like 12 years full time. Wow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it, it took its toll. Uh, you know, that what we do as music missionaries, it's not easy because it requires your whole life and everything you got to make it happen. So, but that's I a noticed- story for another day. <laughs> That'll be part two of this interview. I, uh, I noticed that you said music missionaries. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, when you're playing in the club and, or, you know, when I was with the Navy band, we do concerts and things in the secular world. That was one thing with the entertainment value, but it's, uh, you know, what I do in terms of the, the religious or the sacred music realm is really a continuation of the mission of, of Jesus. You know, it's his mission his mission of preaching, teaching, and healing. And that's kind of what I, I figured that I do. Now I see other artists are using missionary as well, um, uh, even though um, I've seen that from a couple other artists. But um, that's what, the way I felt. I felt I was a missionary because uh, you weren't staying in hotels. You're staying in rectories. You're staying at people's homes. Uh, you know, you're eating what's on the table. Um, you know, this isn't you know, some other artists out there, you know, they have to have hotel rooms. They got to do this. And, and I was like, it's even hard for me to take money to do what I do because mm-hmm. I feel that we should give it away. But you have bills to pay and other things. So it, it, there is a value to it that, you know, that I, I think people, you know, can afford in order to uh, bring a fresh uh, new look to the gospel, uh, to hear somebody else's story. Uh, to help enliven a, a music program or a youth program or something like that, you know, that has value because then it brings people to your church 
and then you know you can foster it from there. So nevertheless, I don't know how I got off that ten. Do you see my ADD kicking in? I, I I really don't think it's that bad. I mean I mean okay. at least in this in this discussion because you're you're talking about exactly the right thing that we we really are. I think it's an interesting t- idea too, John, for someone who is, let's say, a full-time music minister who doesn't tour in, for their music ministry, um, you know, to remind us that music missionaries, we, we, do, we, we do go forth. We are sent forth, even if that sending forth means that we only minister in one church location on the weekends. That's true. That's right. That's still very strong. You know, it's still definitely something that we, like all full-time music ministers do. Yeah. So yeah. we're all missionaries, you know, really, we're all mm-hmm. missionary. And because uh, if it's not about the mission, then what's it about? Right. You know? And to sort of try to stay focused on the mission at all times uh, can be a challenge at times, too. You know, when things yeah. aren't going right or that kind of thing. But mm-hmm. prayer is key, I think, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, staying focused mm-hmm. on, on that and always trying to uh authentically reveal uh jesus you know what i mean that's what you want you know i might be the vehicle but what i'm I, i'm not what, what i'm uh singing about or bringing is the holy spirit you know i want people to have an encounter with god so that our faith matters and they can look at their catholic faith and, and say you know i need this in my life you know, I, I, I need to belong to this community. I, I need to sing these songs. I need to give thanks for the things, the blessings in my life and the tribulations, you know, even the, the difficulties, because without the difficulties, there, you know, learning lessons come in those things as well, even though sometimes it's hard to see. But I think we've become stronger and uh, to get through difficult times that are inevitable. I'd love to talk for a little bit, if it's okay, about mentoring in our music missionary, you know, in our role, fostering a mentorship mentality with the young people and the youth in our music ministry. Um, do you, it, wh- why is this so important to you? Why is fostering that mentorship so important to you? Uh, because I, um, it, it, it's, it's, it has to happen. It's, it's part of the, I think, the progression or the evolution of life or the evolution of the minister or the artist or just us in general, that we have to pass down. It's like I can't give my children faith, but I have to show them my faith in order for them to choose that for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's the same thing, I think, with, with the music ministry that we first invite, have to invite, and then you have to accompany along the way. You know, there's a, there, there's something about that creating um, friendships or or not well relationships of sort in, in in the ministerial aspect, so that people can look at what you know. So when I'm working with youth, I just don't sing the song. You also tell them what the song's about and why you're singing the song and how it fits in the liturgy and what part of that liturgy is and what and why that matters and 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 that kind of stuff. So you know, there's there's a mentorship that goes along. Uh, both uh, intellectually, spiritually, musically, you know, so uh, that they can get that whole body, mind, and soul thing from the music. But we need the young people because they have a voice. They see things we don't see. They have, they live in a world that we don't live in. Uh, Their voice matters. 
Um, and if we keep pushing them back and pushing them back or not giving them opportunities or ways to express their own religion, their own uh, spirituality in a language that's understandable. If we want to throw down just what the music director likes, and this is what we're going to do, you're only going to keep those that think like you do. And then we're only going to have a church of one, you know, one way mind. And right. it's a big God, God <laughs> who's, who's ineffable. And when, as soon as I think that, you know, it's all about my way or I have the right way, like we have a five o'clock Sunday night group that I mentored these young kids and then I let them fly and I let them kind of make their mistakes along the way. Then I talk to them about it. And then we discuss it. And, uh, but they are rocking it. And then I have to go hands off. I want to be in there a little bit, you know, I want to, I think I need to be there. And you have to let go of that as a mentor and, and, and let your students, uh, your apprentices do their thing and they will do it. And um, so I, in some ways I feel like Simeon, you know, when he held Jesus and said, I can go now. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, that's, you know, at in my middle fifties, you know, we're looking at the the last quarter of life. What condition are we leaving this church in? It's now the time for me, I think, to look, to be uh, more of a coach. You know what I mean? That's the that's the the approach I have at it as the coach, looking for players and and bringing them along. And um, but it's important that we involve them and give them a space and a voice. So like at our parish, I noticed that uh, we have a children's choir. So those are kids up to about junior high. Well, once they get out of junior high, then we have a contemporary ensemble that's supposed to be high school, college kind of thing. Well, I noticed that the boys disappeared. And so, and I had some really talented young fellas. So, uh, I created a special group just for these uh, guys that their voices are changing between the ages of like 14 and 18 kind of thing. And so they're called uh, the Young Apostles, Voices Voices of Change. Oh, I love it. And so that takes a unique thing from the director's standpoint, because now you got to find the right key. Can't sing everything in the key that's in the book. Find stuff that they like. Keep them uh uh, engaged and that kind of thing. So I have about nine of them when they all show up. And hopefully that that then builds that group that they'll stay. And then that flows into your uh, adult choir or whatever else. You know, we, we don't have a farm club for the adult choirs. After children's choir, there's a big law, you know, and if you look at the age of our choirs, they're kind of old and, and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's important mm -hmm. in order to keep the choir mentality, which I, is a whole nother topic for discussion that I think is a dying breed. Hmm. I, think, I think we're losing, you know, that was a baby boomer era, of, you know, choirs and that kind. But if you look around, they seem to be dwindling. Uh, it's an older group and people are turning to more six or eight singers, you know, smaller ensembles that are tighter and better. And this mm -hmm. friend of mine who's in the music industry, he, he was talking about choirs. He says, you know, the thing about choirs, you're only as good as your weakest singer. So therefore, he says, a lot of times choirs only breed, breed mediocrity because mm. you're only going, you know, and I, I had to think about that. But, you know, that has a lot of merit to it. 
I think the thing the, the thing though with a choir is that in particular with the choir in especially in music ministry that is the home base I believe for people who feel a calling to get involved in music but have very little music theory musical and vocal training because right. with every with everything else we do as cantors um, instrumentalists I just, I sense that at the very least, we provide a lot of formation for our cantors and our ensemble members, but with the choir members, sometimes that may not happen. And a lot of them, I don't know, John, if it's just me, but I've oft, I've pretty much almost always had at least one choir member who says, I can't read music whenever they, oh. they get to, to the choir, you know? And so, yeah. you know, I, I think that is unique to a, a choir, especially in a church setting. Yeah. And therefore, you're limited, you know, on what you can actually kind of do. And but anyway, right. Anyway, uh, so anyway, yeah. because it comes to the youth, though, you know, it, it's very important that we continue to foster these uh, young people and and go out and get them because they're not going to come to you, right? I mean, I mean, you really have to be the agent, or you know, um, like the guy that would go for the baseball club. He'd go out and what are the the scout? You have to be a scout. You know, and you got to somebody says so and so sings or so and so is good. You have to go find that person and invite them to be a part of that. And um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think once people get uh, start to see that and you start to create a program that is good and and has uh, that sounds good, it'll attract other people, you know. Right. So and I think that comes from leadership, too. I think, you're, you know, you uh, you know, music directors, um, personnel is not taught. We don't teach personnel. You know, we, we don't teach management skills. We don't teach recruiting ideas. You know, if, if you can play the organ or play the piano and sing, you know, you, you get hired. But you and I both know that that's only maybe a third or less of the actual workload. Right. You know, so uh, one of the things that I've been able to develop here in Nashville as a music director is a program. So I manage a program. So I've been able to go out, find other companies, empower other people. And uh, so that my responsibility is to create music for every mass on Sunday. And if I can get other people to volunteer and be a part of this, that makes them bigger. That makes a bigger community. And then one day if something happens to me, it, it can, it can roll, you know, it can go on without me. And I think that's what music directors should be looking at is what's the place going to look like when the day you leave mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that you're working towards this program to walk on its own without you. And right. that, that's, a, that's, um, that takes time and, and uh, you have to be, have a pastor who's on board with that as well. And um, anyway, Nevertheless, but you, that you also s- comes in with the youth, though. I mean, because then you have to manage that. You know, you have to be the person right. to to be the personable one to keep after them and all that kind of thing. Right. Because because they're youth and they're gonna they're gonna miss rehearsal and they're not gonna do what you yes. ask them to do. Mm-hmm. And so you got to be patient and you have to kind of you know I treat them like they were my own children. Mm-hmm. And, um, I wish my daughter's getting married here in 18 days. 
Wow, that's good. That's great. It oh is. If, if all the bills were paid, it would be great. But... <laughs> well, actually, let's just take a second before we go back into this. Let, let's talk about that. So from your perspective as father of the bride, has your experience with your daughter getting married kind of refocused your viewpoint when you work with couples who are getting married at your church? Yeah, don't do it. Don't do what? Don't have a daughter that gets married? No, no, don't, don't do weddings. Just let's get out of the wedding business. No. Oh, no, I don't know about that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, not really. Just because, uh, you know, brides come in so nervous and they think it's a big deal to plan. You know, the, it is a big deal, but it doesn't have to be a prolonged agony thing. You know, I, I meet when I meet with the bride and stuff, she's in and out in 15 minutes. And she's got it picked out. It's done. And they're like, wow, that was so easy. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, just trust me. I got you. <laughs> you know? And um, so, but with her, it's going to be different because now I'm, I have to arrange the music, but somebody else is playing. You know, I think I might be doing one thing, but I've got uh, some local friends in Memphis and that kind of thing. That'll be playing for the wedding so it's it's kind of unique to kind of sit back and be a mm -hmm. participant in it right and uh, of course I, I don't know what that is yet but I'm sure I'll be crying like a baby probably not that's okay rightly so and rightly yeah. so John yeah so you, you you've said a couple of great things I just want to kind of summarize and just point upon you know number one if someone's listening to this and they want some takeaways on how they can really apply this to their situation. Number one, first and foremost, invite, right? Invite, because that is the number one way we all know um, how to really attract people in general, but especially young people into our programs. Um, two, you said something interesting, create a common language or context. You know, I John, and I, I'm, I've noticed this a lot too, that we, we as pastoral musicians speak in liturgical shorthand. We assume that people know that, for example, during Lent, we don't sing Alleluia. But, you know, a lot of the times we need to establish that body of knowledge with younger people that we're working with. So to take the time to be intentional and to explain that context is very educational. And you pointed that out, and that's a really good point. Um, three, let them make decisions and let them make mistakes. Really good points. I mean, really. And then my favorite, take your hands off the wheel. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You got to take your hands off and trust, trust in God, mm -hmm. Jesus, mm -hmm. I trust in you. And, uh, you know, the thing is if they, if they make a mistake, um, it's okay. You know, the, the, they learn from that mistake and, and how we handle that mistake is the thing. You know, if we come in there like a bull in a china shop, ah, you shouldn't have done this and that, you know, you got to be kind. And then the other thing is, I think as a director is to protect them from the wolves that are out there. How that so? are going to gripe. Because, you know, they may do something contemporary and rocking and they think it's great. And you're going to get five people call you and say, why are they doing that kind of music and blah, blah, blah. You know, they're going to complain. And you don't tell the, those people that. You keep that and you hold on to that because those kids don't need to hear that. 
you know, they don't need that negativity brought to them. So, you know, the music director's got to, whoever's in charge has kind of got to hold some of that negativity because everybody's got an opinion, you know? And the thing is, is that as a director, you got to take a direction no matter what anybody says and you got to go with it because if you listen to everybody else around you, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to keep spinning your wheels. So no matter what, stay on a direction and go with it. So if you're going to say my five o'clock is a rocking mass, let it rock. And if people are going to complain, <laughs> let them complain. Right. <laughs> You know, let them complain because there's going to be event, going because of the five people that complain. I got 50 that say they love it. So, you know, it's a matter of analytics. You know, you're looking at the data and saying, OK, I got three people real loud complaining. I'm not going to jump up and down and get worried because two people said they didn't like the music. You know, so let these kids shine and do what they do, because I'm telling you, they're so talented. You know, and and what they're bringing is fresh and we, we need to hear it. You know, sometimes I think we get a little bit too stale and too stiff and, um, you know, so, but now on the other side, which is a conversation for another day, you know, how well does praise music and that kind of stuff fit the liturgy? That's a question for another time for another podcast, because it doesn't always fit. And that's sometimes where I kind of have to step in and say, okay, what did that song actually have to do with communion, you know, to be in communion with one another? You know, that's where you have that teaching moment then mm-hmm. when they're looking, because they want to do the top 10 of the praise tunes that are coming out of, off K-Love and whatever, you know, radio station they're, they're listening to. And so there's a lot of balancing that you have to do, coaching, but at the same time, letting them grow. Mm-hmm. Does, that, mm-hmm. does that help? It really does. It does. If there's one thing that you're listening to this podcast and you take away, it's that I think young people, they keep us m- more open and flexible, like you said, than we normally would have. You know, I mean, it's just, and, and they're so, I, I think they're so crucial, not just because of course they are the future of the church, they're the next leaders in the church, but they help us think about A, why are we doing what we're doing? And B, how can we maybe get out of our normal box and maybe find options that are a little bit better? Yeah. And also don't be a Grinch. No, music director, don't be a Grinch. <laughs> Smile, yes. you know, uh, the, the territorial thing and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, I, you know, mm-hmm. we need to lay that down mm-hmm. and, and really look at these kids as part of the family, part of your family. Mm. Allow them to be kids is what I was going to say. Allow them to be kids. Mm-hmm. I, I once went to a workshop. I won't say where or when, but it was a, it was a workshop about um, involving music ministers. And this person had said, if you're a choir, now this is about the choir, not the stick of the choir, but like, if your musician um, had to miss more than two, maybe three rehearsals in an entire season, maybe you should ask them to not be a part of the entire season then. And I remember writing down, I feel like this is wrong because like, you know, especially with young people, like first off, if they're involved in music ministry, they're probably involved in other things like sports and other extracurriculars. And also they're teenagers, they're most likely young adults. And so they're still getting their own foothold 
uh, maturity wise that, you know, they're trying to balance their schedule. And we, you have to accept that when you have youth in your program. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I could talk with you about this for another half hour, but it was been, it's been so great to sit down and talk with you about this because we have been so focused on COVID for the last 18 months. It's nice to just go back to basics and say, okay, what do we, what do we do best and why do we do what we do? And that's what I really think this conversation has been about today. Yeah. Yeah. So keep doing what you're doing, but keep growing and keep looking for those, uh, those um, diamonds in the rough because they're in every parish. Mm-hmm. They really are in every parish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Thanks, John. Thanks for your time for the recording. Oh, you're welcome. Anytime. Yeah. And hey, good luck with your daughter's wedding. Thank you. So I did the knees so that I could walk her down the aisle with no pain. So, oh, that's so sweet. Is that really true? That is true. So, oh, I've got uh, 18 more days of uh, healing. And, and if I had to do it today, I could. So, that's, the, that's the bonus. Yeah. Good. That's wonderful. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, thanks for all you're doing for music ministry. You keep okay. it up too. I am the bread of life. I am the hope in night. I am the door wide open. I am the shepherd's might. I am the truth and light. I am the way and life. I am who am and I am for you. Come and follow me. Thanks so much to John for his time and expertise today. For more information about this episode and to see the video version of this podcast, check out the show notes at ministrymonday.org. The recording of I Am the Bread of Life was produced by Oregon Catholic Press. And today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week. And we'll see you back here next Monday. I am the bread.